0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash slash film.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, October 10th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. And in our feature presentation, we'll talk about visiting the set of Pet Cemetery. This is Slash Film editor in chief, Peter Serrata, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film senior writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Slash Film writer, Chris Evangelista. Hello. How's it going, guys? It, it, it is officially the hump day of the week, and uh, it, it, news isn't really stopping, is it? Um, let's, let, let's jump into it. With uh, Yesterday, it was reported that Annapurna was dropping out of the untitled Fox News movie, and we, we heard it was over budgetary problems, and now we have learned a little bit more about this, and it's kind of depressing news. Ben, tell us about it.
2: Yeah, it sounds like things at Annapurna Pictures may be a little bit more dire than anybody thought. So this company launched in 2011, and uh, Megan Ellison, who's the daughter of Larry Ellison, who's a billionaire who founded a company called Oracle that runs Java and all sorts of uh, things that are in the background of all of your computers, like Megan Ellison is super rich and has been sort of like a savior for Autour driven filmmaking ever since she launched Annapurna Pictures because she's basically been backing all of these visionary filmmakers and giving them financing to make the movies that they want to make that traditional studios would probably uh, have a problem financing. So Movies like The Master and Spring Breakers and Zero Dark Thirty and The Grandmaster and Everybody Wants Some and uh, tons of great films of the past few years have come through Annapurna Pictures. But now uh, a new report at The Rap says that the company seems to be in some financial trouble. And that might uh, explain why they had to walk away from not only this uh, untitled Fox News movie that you just mentioned, but also a Jennifer Lopez film called The Hustlers at Scores, which they also sort of parted ways from yesterday um, according to the rap, Megan Ellison is reevaluating the studio's film division, and is expected to take a more active role in day-to-day development and production after a rocky 18 months for the company. So, they uh, released Catherine Bigelow's period piece Detroit, and that movie, uh, despite costing like 40 million dollars to make, only made about 16 million dollars. So that's a, a, I mean, apparently that film cost annapurna pictures tens of millions of dollars so that's kind of a hard hit for a smaller company like that um there's been a lot of rumors going back and forth about whether they are in real trouble a a spokesperson for annapurna denied any problems said that all these rumors are unfounded and that everything is sort of business as, as usual at the company but there are multiple sources from the RAP that uh, that say otherwise. Uh, also, their um, chief financial officer and the president of Annapurna Pictures left the company not too long ago, and the president of Film, Chelsea Barnard, uh, or Barnard, excuse me, just left that job too. So, the, yeah, it, it's not uh, it's not great <laughs> going over there at Annapurna Pictures right now. And I'm really hoping that they can pull out of this because, like I said, they this company has been. Um, sort of a bright light in a movie landscape that's full of superhero movies and sequels and stuff that we love, but I'm also, I've been very glad to see their output over uh, recent years, and I'm sure you guys probably agree with that. I can't imagine that any uh, hardcore film lover would be happy if Annapurna Pictures went away.
1: Yeah, and uh, before this, uh, Megan Nelson was a producer on many films uh, from, you know, auteur filmmakers. It just seems like to me that this usually happens in Hollywood. You know, usually someone with, you know, uh big money and ambition comes to try to make a difference and then they're uh they find out that uh, you know, the general audience, mainstream America doesn't want to see, you know, a 60 million dollar Paul Thomas Anderson film. And uh they they end up uh, you know, producing more mainstream movies. Do you, do you think this could happen to Ellison?
2: Oh, man, I I hope not because, like I said, I I love the idea of a super rich person who basically is in it for the love of the game and not necessarily caring as much about movies, just coming in and and you know funding these visions that other studios wouldn't necessarily do. But, um, Chris, what do you think is is the end game here?
3: I don't know, and I don't. I wonder how this is going to affect. Uh, you know, they have several movies out this year. I mean, they have, if Beale Street could talk coming out soon, that's like a huge uh, you know, potential Oscar film. Like, I'm wondering if this is gonna like hurt campaigning for that. Like, if they're not gonna be able to afford to, you know, push that for, you know, the Oscar votes. I don't know. It's a very um, unfortunate situation.
1: Yeah, I also wonder if, like, you know, like other studios that, you know, uh, let's say Fox, for instance. You know, Fox does the big uh, comic book stuff, the X-Men movies and stuff, you know, and they, you know, they do that to help fund, you know, Fox Searchlight, which does the small stuff. Uh, I, I feel like eventually it's going to have to get to the point where uh, Annapurna, if they want to function, is going to have to operate in that kind of, uh, you know, one for them, two for us mm-hmm. kind of... Well, a, the-
2: The good news there is that they have acquired the distribution rights for the next James Bond movie. So that is something that, you know, theoretically could sort of uh, put them in that position like you're talking about. And Bond films typically tend to perform pretty well financially. So that could be, you know, if the next Bond movie is a hit that could be something that could fund some of these, you know, smaller art- auteur-driven uh, projects. Although it, it actually sounds like the the new Bond movie directed by Cary Fukunaka might be like an auteur-driven Bond film. So, um, yeah, uh, maybe they're having their cake and eating it, too, a little bit with that
1: one. <laughs> um, let's move on to our next story, and that involves the Universal Soldier uh, franchise. Uh, a franchise I have actually uh, – I think I've only seen the first film, but they've made, uh, what, three or four of those, Chris? There are four. Well,
3: technically there's six, but two of them oh, are wow. two of them are like TV movies. So they don't really count. So four is the official number.
1: Well, there's another reboot in the works and you wrote for wrote this up for the site. What do we know?
3: Uh, yeah. So Richard Wink, who is the guy who wrote um The Equalizer and The Equalizer 2, and he's also writing the upcoming uh, Craven the Hunter movie is uh he he announced that he's doing a he calls it a reimagining of universal soldier universal soldier was a 1992 film uh directed by roland emmerich starring dolph lundgren and jean-claude van damme they played vietnam war soldiers who die and then uh get brought back to life in the 90s as sort of like uh not really robots but like unbeatable super soldiers and um I won't call it a good movie, uh, and it, it launched a franchise. And the franchise actually got weirdly entertaining as it went on. Part two isn't very good, but part three and four are surprisingly weird and uh, very well directed and action-packed. So you know, take from that what you will. But anyway, this is a uh, this is a reimagining, and uh, Wank says. You know, he makes it sound like it's really going to be Universal Soldier in name only. Like he was inspired by the title and little else. So, you know, there's no talk on who's directing it or when it's coming out. But uh, there it is. I mean, what's your relationship with this franchise? Uh, like I said, I I actually like the the later films as you know violent direct to VOD films. Um, it's not like something that's like beloved. Like I'm not going to be furious about you know some sort of uh, yeah, you know, there's no way to betray the franchise. It's not <laughs> like it's it's like high art or anything like that. but uh, this really just sounds like they're literally just taking the name. And just making a movie with that title. But we'll see. I think
2: I've seen all of them. Oh, you actually like even the TV ones, because my friend and I, when we were in college, we were like, all right, let's just do it. Let's marathon all of these Universal (laughs) Soldier movies. And it was a terrible experience because they're mostly really, really bad films.
1: But uh, but I wait, 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 wait wait a second. So you decide this and then you get through like one or two of them. At what point don't you like? Why didn't you say like, you know, let's stop here. I don't think we I need think to go it was further.
2: like, I don't know. I think it was some sort of like uh, internal competition between the two of us. Like who could outlast the other and, and watching these, if we could make it to the end, it was like a challenge <laughs> kind of thing. I don't know. It was really bad. I, I actually I take that back. I don't think I saw the most recent one, but I definitely saw Universal Soldier uh, Day of Reckoning, the 2012 one. And I agree with Chris. That one is like surprisingly well directed. And it seems like, uh, you know, people who are into um, super, uh, you know, the uh, direct-to-video uh, action market with anybody who knows who Scott Adkins is, basically, uh, those people will probably really appreciate that film because there's a ton of action in that movie that's um, it's way different than the first film.
1: Okay, let's uh let's move on to our next bit of news, and this is involves that uh, streaming service that we talked about, I think, last week from Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg uh, Whitman. This is a streaming service that's going to concentrate on short form content under ten minutes or less, I believe. Uh, they've racked up a whole lot of uh, big name author filmmakers to develop content for this, and uh, they even have a new name. Ben, tell us about it.
2: Yeah, so it was formerly known as New TV. Uh, you may have heard us talk about that in the past. That, that now, was a
1: horrible idea for a name. Like, uh, they must have come up with something better, right? Yeah. <laughs> they came up
2: with something, Peter, but it's certainly not better. It's called Quibi, Q-U-I-B-I, which is short for Quick Bytes as in quick bites of content. Uh, this is a laughable name. That, that name, name. is
1: going to be so popular with the millennials. You can, you I can mean, just hear them talking about Snapchat and the Quibi, checking Jesus. up on the Quibi. I mean,
2: it, it, like so uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg uh, Whitman, the CEO of the company, um, they announced this at the Vanity Fair New Establishment Summit, which is like a uh, basically like a, a conference that's been going on recently and there's tons of streaming news that has come out of this but i I guess on the stage meg whitman said like jeffrey katzenberg loves the name he can't stop saying quibby he's probably the only one he must have fallen in love with this name and just convinced everyone to go along with it because uh, this is like quickster all over again like i can't imagine anybody Thinking that this is a great name for a, a streaming platform, but anyway, they decided to go with it. So, uh, in addition to unveiling this name, they actually revealed the names of a few more collaborators that are going to that are going to be producing content for this network when it. Um, I guess it's supposed to. Uh, launch sometime in 2019. So we already knew that Sam Raimi was announced. And I think Chris talked about that on a recent episode about how he's uh, Raimi is developing a, a show called 50 States of Fear, which is going to highlight the scariest folklore from each state in America. But there are a few other names that came out today. Jason Blum, the producer of movies like Get Out and Halloween, is working on a show called Wolves and Villagers, which Jeffrey Katzenberg described as Fatal Attraction 2.0 Antoine Fuqua, the director of Training Day and Equalizer, is developing a modern telling of the movie Dog Day Afternoon and is eyeing two A-list actors for the lead roles in that. And Guillermo del Toro is working on uh, content for them as well. We don't know anything, any any details about the show that he's working on, although Variety actually said that he's working on multiple projects for them. So that's interesting. Uh, And, I mean, this basically just goes right back to the same con- uh, the same conversation that you guys had on that recent episode of the podcast about like do people really want to watch short form content that's 10 minutes long uh, and, and pay for it. Uh, because as, as you guys mentioned, I think it's supposed to be like a, an $8 tier for ad, an ad free experience, or maybe a $5 tier for, um, being able to watch this stuff with ads. So that's all we know right now that that's the extent of the, the new news. Although actually there's one more tiny bit of information. And that is that each episode of these shows is like I said, going to be about 10 minutes long. And all of the projects that I just mentioned are aiming for a total running time of somewhere between two and four hours. So we could be looking at, you know, 12 episodes for a two hour show and 24 episodes for a four hour show.
1: So the same as, you know, normal television, but just in 10 minute uh, bites, uh, are, are, do these names get you excited for the service Ben? I mean,
2: Del Toro is certainly somebody who I think all of us are, you know, we raise an eyebrow anytime a project gets mentioned with his name attached to it. But he's also, you know, notoriously one of the most busy people in Hollywood. And he always (laughs) is attaching himself to projects that never actually come, you know, come to fruition. So I I, I think of all of these, I wouldn't be the least amount, you know, the least surprised if uh, that one never happened or the ones that he's associated with. Uh, The Sam Raimi one about the folklore, the scary folk from each state sounds kind of cool um I don't know, jason blum i mean he's a smart guy and i don't know about a, a remake of dog day afternoon in 10 minute chunks that one sounds like the weirdest of these to me but um i don't know chris uh, what do you think about this
3: i don't uh, <laughs> the, the 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 concept that they're, that they're going to just have these end up being you know two hours in total anyway makes it even dumber to me like so they're really just taking, like, a two-hour movie and breaking it up into 10-minute chunks. That's what this sounds like.
1: And well, I, I don't think that's what it's going to be because I think, like...
3: I mean, if that's what they're doing with Dog Day Afternoon, it sounds like. I mean, that, that's <laughs> a full movie. Are they literally just breaking that up into 10-minute episodes? That well, sounds I, I, Well, terrible. I would
1: assume that the end of every 10-minute episode is going to have some kind of cliffhanger or something that makes you want to watch the next episode. So it's going to be, like written in a way almost like a comic book i think Uh,
3: like to me this sounds like watching a movie and pausing it every 10 minutes to go to the bathroom and then you come back and hit play and that just sounds awful
2: (laughs) yeah because peter if it's the way that you're talking about they're gonna have to basically like re they're gonna have to come up with a new form of screenwriting where it's like the acts are so much shorter than they are in a traditional piece of storytelling, you know. Um yeah. I mean, I guess that's that could be what well, they're doing.
1: Well, there is um there is a whole popular thing in screenwriting called the 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 uh sequence approach and it's a uh, a lot of people look at uh, t- Toy Story 1 in the sequence approach because every 15 minutes like a new thing is introduced and it's basically a whole new uh, motivating factor that it, it, it goes to build up. Like still the three act structure is still there, but uh, I don't know. I, I I think it still could be done in the same way, which I guess probably hurts my argument that it's something new and different, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, I, I think it's exciting that uh, there's a company willing to pay all these great uh, filmmakers to produce content that might be stuff that couldn't otherwise be made in Hollywood. You know, I guess maybe Dog Day Afternoon could be made (laughs) elsewhere. But, uh, you know, some of these – I'm sure whatever Guillermo Guillermo del Toro has up his sleeve is something that, you know, probably couldn't fit in another, uh, you know, in an hour-long drama or, you know, it's something unique to this format. My big problem with this, I think, is the big problem – I know both of you have with this is that you have to pay to watch it. And, you know, there's so many streaming services coming out and we're going to have to be paying for all of them. I feel like a lot of people are, I feel like a lot of these companies are missing out on this whole freemium concept where, you know, we can watch it for free with ads supported and then pay to, you know, avoid the ads or, you know, get the content early or something like that. And I feel like something like this these filmmakers' names, and even Dog Day Afternoon, uh, you know, franchises like that—is uh, that a franchise? I guess it's not a franchise because it's no, only it's one just film. A single movie, yeah. IP like that is not enough to get people to to pay five dollars a month. But I think if they were able to get this for free with, you know, ad supported in some way, then maybe they would be willing to eventually like me i i feel like ben maybe you could get sucked in if you you know got the chance to you know Yeah, if you if you get
2: the taste for free, yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I'm I'm certainly um, you know even though I like a lot of the people involved in this announcement, I I do find myself um, you know a little gun shy on on pulling the trigger on subscribing to yet another service. It's like there are already ones that I would like to subscribe to that I just either can't afford at this very second or am trying to you know organize in the, the long list, the ever-growing list of services that are coming out and try to prioritize which ones I want to get next. And this one, I have to admit, is like, even though it has these great people attached to it, it's pretty low on the list. So um, I don't know. I mean, best of luck to them. It, like you're saying, it's it's always interesting to see a company like this, which is, by the way, has raised a billion dollars in funding and has the backing of every major Hollywood studio attached to it already, uh, trying to do something disruptive and interesting. And I, I hope it works, because It could be yet another way for storytellers to get their content out there and and in front of people. But I just at this stage, without having seen anything or exactly how it works, I don't know. I find it. um, I'm just a little hesitant at this point.
1: This is another thing that's kind of bothering me recently. Like I'm watching so many shows that are streaming and you binge watch them and you're done with it in a day or two. Um, There isn't a lot of programming that I'm watching that have, you know, a new episode comes out each week. At this point, you know, every once in a while, like something like Westworld or Better Call Saul will come up where I'm following it week to week. And I, the, the thing that may, maybe excites me a little bit about this concept is maybe, you know, uh, there could be a uh, a uh, Guillermo del Toro, a show that could have episodes coming out like every weekday or, you know, three times a week. And it would be something to look forward to. Um You know, on a regular basis, not just, like, a binge-watchable kind of thing. I I feel like I'm missing the old days of scheduled TV, which I guess makes me old. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah. Okay. Anyways, uh, let's move on to the Spider-Man universe. There's a bunch of stories here talking about uh, how Sony is intending to move forward with their Spider-Man-less, maybe spider-man verse uh let's start first with morbius uh chris you wrote this up for the site what do we know
3: uh yes so venom was a huge hit and now we're stuck with sony's whatever they're calling it you don't want to call it the spider-verse because there's a movie called into the spider-verse and that's something different because that's apparently not in this universe because everything is very confusing and nothing makes sense now oh oh wait until Warner
1: Brothers gives you a Joker movie that's not connected to Suicide Squad 2 or the DCU
3: it's a mess I don't know what anyone is doing but uh next up is Morbius the the living vampire which will star Jared Leto uh you know this this had already been reported as likely to happen and now we know it definitely is happening and it's the next film for sony and Jared Leto is definitely attached so it's it's going to start shooting uh probably in february or at the very least sometime early 2019 um there aren't really specifics of you know what's happening in the movie but we know it's happening and um <laughs> we <laughs> know point. it's going to be part of this venom universe whatever it's called now
1: for for those of us who don't know who morbius is do you can you give us a quick explanation
3: he is a scientist who becomes a vampire. That's the, <laughs> the long and short of it. I mean, I've never read a Morbius comic, so I don't really know much about the character on my own. I had to look it up in writing the story, but yeah, he's a, uh, he's a Nobel Prize-winning biochemist who uh, he he gets a he has a deliberating a deliberating blood disease, and he tries to treat that disease, and he accidentally turns himself into a vampire so there you have it it's a uh, very scientifically accurate character
2: if anybody grew up watching the spider-man animated series like i did uh, morbius featured pretty heavily in at least one season of, of that show so that's the primary uh, knowledge point for me <laughs> for coming into that character
1: um and i mentioned that spider-man could actually appear in this uh universe i don't even know what what do we want to call this guys like it's i think like 6 months ago sony put Venom something out that said said that they wanted
2: to call it the so the smu the sony marvel universe but I, I don't think that stuck. I don't think anybody paid any attention to that, so yes. I, I don't
3: know. That's what it says on Wikipedia. It says the Sony Marvel Universe, but I didn't use that because it just does not sound right. It does no one is calling
1: it that. so yeah, okay, well, another property in in development for the uh, Sony Marvel Universe. Yeah, I don't like this at all. um is uh the Craven the Hunter movie. and we've learned a little bit about that. Ben, tell us about it.
2: Yeah, so Richard Wink, the same screenwriter that Chris mentioned earlier on today's podcast, uh, is supposedly writing the <laughs> Craven the Hunter movie, and yes, this one is still happening as well. Uh, Craven the Hunter, Sergey, a.k.a. Sergey Kravinov, a, a hunter who tracks, who basically becomes obsessed with hunting and, and tracking Spider-Man in the comics, is getting his own movie, and we've talked about it before, but now there's some new quotes from Richard Wink who's writing the film, and he says, uh, he says, I'm just starting it. It's an interesting world, a great character. It's going to adhere very closely to the lore of Craven the Hunter, and he is going to come face-to-face with Spider-Man. I'm just beginning it, beginning the process, and because it's a big IP Marvel world, there's lots of hurdles to overcome before you can start writing to crack the right story and get the right tone, uh, blah, blah, blah. So basically the, the key piece of information there was that he is going to come face-to-face with Spider-Man in this movie. So I feel like, you know, when I first read this, I was thinking of a shot where uh the character of craven sort of looks up and over the camera and you know, is like, oh my God, it's Spider-Man, but we, the audience, never actually see Spider-Man, so technically he could come face to face with that character. I, I feel like there's going to be something like that where it's sort of like a workaround and not actually, you know, Tom Holland Spider-Man. For example, uh, it's literally on screen with this character because we know that, and I guess this is spoilers for Venom, a movie that I haven't even seen, but I've heard from everybody else that Spider-Man does not make a cameo in Venom. So you would think that if the Sony Marvel universe was uh, gearing up to have Spider-Man appear in all these movies, he would have appeared briefly in Venom. And as H. T. writes in this article, it it would be kind of hilarious if Spider-Man showed up in a Craven, the Hunter movie, but didn't show
1: up in a Venom movie. Yeah. I, I don't see Marvel studios going along with this at all either. I mean, it's not like Venom probably gave them any confidence in what Sony is doing. With their uh, Sony Marvel <laughs> Sony Marvel <laughs> the, universe, the good SMU <laughs> SMU. <Yeah. laughs> uh, okay, let's move on. Let's talk about Rambo Five, which is uh, now has a title. Chris, tell us about it.
3: Yes, so Sylvester Stallone is in the midst of shooting Rambo Five, where Rambo looks like a cowboy now, and the movie is titled officially Rambo Five. Last Blood, and this makes sense because the first Rambo movie is called First Blood. It actually doesn't even have Rambo in the title. It's just called First Blood, and Rambo 2 is called Rambo First Blood Part 2. So uh, it looks like this the series is now coming to an end with this film, which um, uh, has Rambo taking on uh, a Mexican drug cartel, so uh, make <laughs> make of that what you will, I I uh I have a bad feeling this is not going to turn out that well, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, I think they should r- remove the five from the title. It's cleaner that way. Rambo. Yeah, it's,
3: it's it's a bit clunky. Rambo Last Blood would work a lot better, but I guess not.
1: I do like that title as much as I'm. I'm sure I'm not going to like this movie. Uh, but let's move on to our next story. And yesterday we talked about James Gunn possibly writing and directing a second Suicide Squad film which might or might not be a sequel. We don't know. Uh, now Dave Bautista, who was uh, obviously Drax the Destroyer in Guardians of the Galaxy, is uh, now campaigning to star in that movie. Ben, tell us about it.
0: Yeah, so he basically,
2: I mean, the long and short of this story is that he, Dave Bautista, uh, shared an article that revealed that information about James Gunn coming, potentially coming on board Suicide Squad 2, and he said, where do I sign up? So, uh... <laughs> That's about it. Like, we, yeah. we, there's nothing, you know, super serious involved here, but it would be really entertaining to see Dave Bautista make the jump from uh, the Marvel Universe to the DC Universe. He would certainly not be the first actor to, uh, to make that jump. Um, Bautista, of course, has been very, very vocal in his support of James Gunn ever since Gunn was fired by Disney. And uh, he was, you know, he, he's basically been the most... Um, the vocal of yeah. the Guardians cast uh, in support of his director because and you know for good reason James Gunn uh, took a chance on him and and gave him. The career that he has right now uh, obviously Bautista was a, a wrestler beforehand um, but you know there were some big name people who were auditioning for Drax the Destroyer I remember seeing photos of Jason Momoa from Game of Thrones uh, trying out for that role and um, Gunn ended up uh, liking what Bautista was doing with that part and and that role has completely changed his uh, career trajectory so uh, it's not surprising that he would be so supportive of uh, of his friend and director so I, I don't know uh, Peter do you Wait. want to see Dave Batista? in Suicide
3: Squad too?
1: Well, um I don't even know what what James Gunn's Suicide Squad is, but I could imagine Dave Batista as Lobo. Like that feels like it would be a perfect fit. Um but I wanted to ask you, like, i I know we've had people jump from Marvel to DC and DC to Marvel in, you know, the acting world in the past, but We've never had any. Have we not had anybody appear in both of the worlds at the same time? Hmm. By that, I mean like while they're still a you know big part of a big franchise in Marvel, appear in DC. I can't think uh, of you... anybody off the top of my head, and I know I'm probably if... wrong.
2: Yeah, I feel like it would be somebody small. It would be like a like I know it's not it's not Ray Stevenson, but it would be yeah. somebody like that. You know, like not necessarily one of the the primary members of any of the casts. Um, so yeah, I'm, that's I'm a do, good I'm, question. I
1: I'm just wondering I'm, if there's like a contract that will prevent him from being in a DC production while he's you know still headlining Guardians of the Galaxy films.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they have some sort of exclusivity clause or, or something like that. That's uh, If anybody out there is a, an entertainment lawyer, write <laughs> in and let us know. Yeah, I'd be interested.
1: But Ben, we're going to leave you here. So tell us uh, where can people find your, more of your work online? You can find me writing
2: at SlashFilm.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears.
1: OK, now it's time for our feature presentation. Uh, Chris, you got the chance to visit the set of Pet Cemetery. The new adaptation of Stephen King's uh, novel, and uh, when when did this happen? Because we write about these things way after the fact. This happened in the summer, I believe it was July uh, is when it happened. Oh, so not that long ago. Um, yeah. So uh, tell us about it. I know you're a big Stephen King fan. You're a big horror fan. Uh, what was it like to set uh, to step into the you know an iconic story like that?
3: Uh, I mean, this was probably, you know, like the coolest thing I have ever done. Uh, you know, like you said, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, and Pet Sematary is actually my favorite Stephen King novel. So I was already pretty um, uh, hyped up about the, you know, I was hyped about the project in general and getting to go there and see, you know, it being shot was was pretty incredible. Um, you know, I have a very, uh, I have a lengthy set rep- set visit report on slash on.com that I, I really... Would encourage everyone to go read because I worked really hard on it and I, I want people to read this stuff. But going there was—it um, it made me, you know, even more confident in the film. Um, everyone involved with this project uh, is taking it very seriously. Like they're not just approaching this as, you know, just you know, a, a cheap horror movie to you know <laughs> to make money. I mean, you know, on some level, that's what they want. They want to make money, as all movies do. But they're they're really approaching this as this sort of like serious uh, drama that just happens to be, you know, a horror movie. And I I loved that approach. I love that they're, they're treating this as like a real movie for lack of a better world, where this isn't like, you know, this isn't like the older Stephen King adaptations, which you could tell were being made very cheaply, very quickly (laughs) just to cash in on the Stephen King brand. And, you know, like, again, I'm not naive. I know, you know, because it was such a huge hit. Studios are greenlighting Stephen King projects left and right because they know they want to make that money. But everyone, you know, everyone I talk to with this film, I talk to the directors, I talk to uh, the producers. And, you know, I talk to uh, two of the cast members and everyone is clearly approaching this as they would approach like an Academy Award nominated movie. That's how seriously (laughs) they're taking. this. And just hearing that made me like so excited.
1: Uh, and you kind of a little alluded to this a little bit, but like, how is this film gonna be different than the previous Pet Cemetery uh film adaptation?
3: Um, so you know, it, it, the the original film, the 1989 film, was fairly accurate to the book because Stephen King actually wrote the screenplay, but it left a lot of stuff out. And in talking, you know, with the producers and the, and the filmmakers, it's clear that they're, they're both going for a film. That's accurate. They're going for something that's true to the book. And they're even putting stuff in here from the book that wasn't in the 89 film, but at the same time, they're, they're taking a a somewhat different approach. Um, uh, You know, the trailer dropped today. And anyone who has seen the trailer today and read the book will notice a few things that definitely aren't in the book that are in the trailer. But uh the way they're approaching the characters is a little different they're they're clearly giving um the the mother character rachel her name name is rachel they're giving her a lot more to do than you know she has in the 89 film um they're expanding the character of judd played by john lithgow in this film a lot more he's the he's the neighbor character who tells them about the cemetery like they're they're changing his motivations a lot they're giving him uh, sort of different backstory than he has both in the book and the 89 film so it's interesting like you know uh you know they're staying very true to the spirit of the book but they're also not being rigid about it and you know i am a huge fan of the book as they say but i'm i'm fine with you know something different and i i really like what i what i'm seeing here and uh we, we've heard that this it's gonna be not like there not there's not gonna be like cgi cats in this film. Yes. Yeah. So one of the things they talked about was, um, the directors, uh, they, they made an in- independent film called, um, starry eyes, which is a, a really unsettling, but also very low budget sort of horror film. And, uh, one of the questions, you know, that, that came up was, you know, are you approaching this like that? Are you approaching this like an indie film or is this more of like a studio film where it's going to be cheap, uh cgi scares and you know they said they're they you know they want to make this as practical as they possibly can and they assured us there are no cgi cats in the film you know anyone who's seen the original film or read the book knows a cat plays a big part in the story and you know so they're working with several real cats all playing the same cat and you know they told us they realized that you know they wish they hadn't made that choice because cats are not exactly easy to train but they (laughs) stuck with it there's definitely going to be a real cat in the film, and I I remember at Comic Con talking to you uh,
1: in close quarters about your visit, and uh, you were t- you were telling us about um, finally getting to see and step into the actual pet cemetery.
3: Yeah, so uh, this is this is sort of like a running joke I have in my write-up report, but. <laughs> That was like the biggest thing I wanted to see was the actual cemetery (laughs) stuff. Like that was my main goal. And before we even left, like before we even got in the van, I asked, you know, the the rep from the studio, like, are we going to see the cemetery? And she said, oh, absolutely. So I was like, oh, I can't wait. So we get there and first we go to one spot and then she says, all right, we're going to the pet cemetery down. I was like, oh, awesome. But then she took us somewhere else and she said, sorry, I made a mistake. We're not going there yet. I was like, all right, that's fine. So then we leave the second place and she says, all right, we're finally going to the pet cemetery. And I'm just rubbing my hands together. I'm like, yes, finally. But then she took us somewhere else and she said, sorry, I made a mistake again. And at this point I'm starting to think like, oh, she's just lying and we're never going to see the pet cemetery. But finally near the end of the visit, she took us to the cemetery and you know um, you know, we got in a golf cart. We drove down this dirt road in deep into the woods. Like it's all, really in the woods. It's not like a set. It's not like on a, a soundstage. It, they really built the cemetery deep in the woods in, you know, this rural area of Ontario. And uh, just, you know, stepping into the cemetery, it was, it was like a religious experience for me. It, it like took my breath away because it looks really, it looks like a real pet cemetery that, you know, local kids made nothing about it. looks fake. Nothing about it looks like a set, And it's just there in the woods and it looks exactly like you picture it when you read Stephen King's book. So it was, it was definitely, it was definitely worth the wait. And the fact that it came near the end of the visit actually made it sort of (laughs) even more special because I had been waiting for it all night and we finally saw it. And, I didn't want to leave. Like we, we, we they let us walk around for like a half hour, and then they were like, "All right, time to go." And I honestly just wanted to stay there like all night. I was so like in my element, but yeah. So it was a great experience. So Chris is in his element in a in the middle of the woods in a Pet yeah. Cemetery.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but people can read your whole report, Pet Cemetery, bringing Stephen King's most terrifying novel to life on uh, SlashFilm.com. I'll link it in the show notes. Chris, where can people find more of your work online?
3: I am at SlashFilm.com, and
1: I'm on Twitter at C Evangelist of 413. You can find me at SlashFilm on all social media. You can find all the stories we talked about today in the show notes and on SlashFilm.com. This podcast, SlashFilm Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your questions, comments, concerns, and feedback to Peter at SlashFilm.com. And go to our iTunes page. Give us a uh, five-star rating and write us a very positive review. It helps us out. Uh, tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow. So if, if like, Guillermo del Toro announced that he was adapting a Stephen King novel for this... uh for this service uh what is the service called again I've
3: already, was it quibi i think it's quibi, called quibi,
1: I, quibi yeah. I can't say it without laughing uh <laughs> would you pay the five dollars to watch
3: i think i would cheat and i would email quibi and i would say hello i'm a journalist please give me a free screener of guillermo del toro's pet whatever it is stephen king series but no i don't I so really so don't basically know. the thing that could get you to subscribe the most wouldn't even get you to subscribe. <laughs> yes, yeah, pretty much. I would still cheat. So, yeah, no.
1: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines.